Happy Father's Day. Oh, thank you very much. (laughs) Have you ever had a challenge with finding something for your dad for Father's Day? I, I think that this might be a universal challenge. It's a universal challenge because it's really hard to think of something. When you think of the things that your dad has done for you and you want to appreciate him and you want to get just the right thing, it's hard to identify what is this thing that can show appreciation to my dad who has done all this stuff for me, right? He gave me room and board. He helped me with homework. He did all these different things. And what am I going to do that will sort of say thanks, right? There's the additional problem. He gets himself everything he wants. And so even when you do finally come up with that perfect gift, you find out from your mother as you're... She says, oh, what did you get your dad for Father's Day? I got him this. I'm really excited about it. Oh, yeah, he just got that last week. What? Every single time. Either I got the brand or the model wrong, or... He just got it for himself and he doesn't need it. It's like he doesn't need anything from me, right? And and there's something about that that I think, okay, I'm going to give up on the gift giving, on the the trying to have it be just the right gift, and I'm just going to say thank you. I'm just going to hang out with my dad and go, you know what, dad, I I wish that I could get you the perfect gift and I don't know how much I would have to spend to do that. And so I just want to spend some time with you and say, thanks for being my dad. And I think that that's where this psalm is leading us. As we consider our Heavenly Father, that's where this psalm is leading us. God doesn't need anything from you. God doesn't need anything from you. But we can draw near to Him and say thank you and show appreciation for Him. Now the tone of this psalm though, the tone of this psalm is different from other psalms that we've seen. Last week I said I really appreciate the psalms Uh, sometimes when we're preaching through the Psalms, we're now on Psalm 50, which means we're one-third of the way through the book of Psalms as we're doing Psalms for summer every summer. We're one-third of the way through on Psalm 50. And uh, there have been a couple of summers where it just felt like I was saying the same thing and we were basically doing the same Psalm every week all summer long. And this summer has been a breath of fresh air because every Psalm this summer has been completely different. It's just been amazingly different how these these different songs are. And so last week we talked about how that was a wisdom psalm and it was almost a proverb put to music. This is a prophecy put to music. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of prophetic, um, this is what's going to happen in 300 years kind of prophecy. I'm talking about the, what are you doing? Don't you know that the Lord is God and you must repent of your sin and turn back to Him? That kind of prophecy put to song. So we start off with this psalm, and it says, uh, this is a psalm of Asaph. Asaph was uh, one of David's... Um, 
Levitical uh, musicians. He wrote several psalms. Uh, he led the musicians in the singing. He was quite talented in that. And his psalms tend to have sort of a judgment tone to them. That's, that's the, the tone with which he writes. In, in fact, um, in Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 25, uh, David and the chiefs of the service set apart for the service the sons of Asaph and of Heman and of Jeduthun who prophesied with lyres, with harps, and with cymbals. And then the list of those who did the work of, on their duties were the sons of Asaph, which were Zechur, Joseph, and Nathaniah, Asherah, sons of Asaph, under the direction of Asaph, who prophesied under the direction of the king. Right? So this is what, there are other places where it talks about him, but, but this is sort of a summary in First Chronicles about who's this Asaph guy. He prophesied to music under the direction of the king. This is what I want you to do. I'd like for you to, to have some music that, uh, that really brings us to who God is. And so, right away, then, we begin with the mighty one. God the Lord. The Mighty One. God the Lord. He speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes. He does not keep silence. Before Him is a devouring fire. Around Him, a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that He may judge His people. Gather to Me My faithful ones who made a covenant with Me by sacrifice. The heavens declare His righteousness for God Himself is judge. Awesome! When you were coming this morning, to church this morning? Who were you coming to see? Who were you coming to hear? Sometimes I, I think that I forget what we're doing here. And I, I think it's really easy for people to come to church because it's kind of what you do on Sunday mornings. We have a habit of it. My parents always brought me to church on Sunday mornings, and so I come to church on Sunday mornings. And when I'm at church, I like to hang out with people, and I see people, and so this is sort of like my extended family. And so as I come here, I bump into the people that, I, if I'm gone for too many weeks, I miss them. And so I want to come back and hang out with them again, and check in with people, how are you doing, and we pray for each other. Plus, I kind of like the music here, and sometimes somebody brings muffins or donuts or something, and so that, that's pretty nice. And we, we, we sing, sing these songs, and, and I, I just, it's the, the thing that you kind of do on Sundays, because it's a, you're a Christian, and that's how you express, I'm a Christian. And when this psalm begins, he throws all of that out. It's not that there's no value in that. 
It's great to be in the community of God's people and loving one another and appreciate being with one another and singing music together. All of those things are wonderful. But he throws all of that out and brings us right to the heart of the matter and says, this is the mighty one, God the Lord. God the Lord. The only one for whom existence is all found in Him. Everything else in all of creation is what He created and draws its existence from Him. Without His sustaining power, they would not be. We would not be. Because God created the whole world and He is the Mighty One. He's the one who put the world into place and causes the sun to come up in the morning and set in the evening. He's the one who set the the motion of the stars so that they orbit in their patterns. He's the one who set up the life cycles. He's the one who created everything so majestic and beautiful so that when you go out to the beach or you go up to the mountains or you go down to the valleys and you see just the great depth and breadth of all that God has created, you look at this and say, this is amazing. This is amazing. And so he says, the mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth. From the rising of the sun to its setting, out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Out of this place where God has in particular named, this is His place. This is His place where His name shall reside, where His presence can be found. That as you come to His presence, He will be there and He will meet His people there. Out of Zion, that perfection of beauty, God shines forth. He reveals Himself in that place. You realize that as Asaph is writing this psalm, he's thinking about people coming to the temple in Jerusalem to worship. Not just any old church anywhere, but the temple of God. In God's country, amongst God's people, this magnificent place, that is what Asaph is thinking of, that this is the place where God resides. When you want to meet with the Holy God, you're going to come here to this place and His name is going to shine forth from there. There is a reverence and an awe that in the Pacific Northwest in particular, we are missing. We're just missing it. Every Sunday is casual Friday. And there's a sense in which God is our Heavenly Father and we know that He loves us and so we appreciate that. There is a familial nature here. We, we are family here. We can just come in and, and say we are comfortable in God's presence. But then sometimes we have to have a psalm like this that shakes us and goes, but do you remember who it is that we have come to see and hear from this morning? Do you remember whose presence it is that we have entered as we come into this place? 
His presence is everywhere. But when we come into a building of worship to acknowledge Him, God is present in this place and He is God the Lord, the Mighty One who speaks out over all of the earth. And this is what He says. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that He may judge His people. When we're thinking about the majesty and power of God, often we are thinking of either His creative power, how awesome and omnipotent is our God who created all of the universe, or we're thinking of His judging power, His authority to be judge over all of the earth. Because He is the righteous One who set all of creation as it was intended to be and is watching it be broken by sin and His Uh, creation rebelling against Him and doing all of these things that they ought not do. And now, God is calling out to the heavens and to the earth as witnesses saying, Hello! Do you recognize that this is not the way I intended that this would be? This is not the perfect creation that I had put together. This is not how this should be. Heavens and earth, can you attest to this? And the heavens and the earth say, yeah, this is not the way this should be. This is not the way. In fact, when God called His people on Mount Sinai and He made the covenant with them, And then you think about the terrifying, awesome presence of God, that mountain shaking, the cloud uh, darkness descending, the lightning and the thunder. As God rumbles on the top of the mountain and His presence is so awesome that even those outside cannot touch the mountain, they step back, they fall down and they tremble in fear and say, Moses, go up and talk to God on our behalf and whatever He tells you, we will listen. And while he is there and making that covenant with Moses on the top of that mountain so that the people will listen and that they will be his people and he will be their God bringing them into his place. He makes this covenant with the heavens and the earth as witnesses of his covenant. And so now every time he invokes the names of the heavens and the earth, they are the witnesses to the covenant that he has made with his people. And he's saying, I am judging you and I'm bringing the earth and the heavens back as witnesses. So we find ourselves in this cosmic court scene. Where God is walking in and they say, all rise. And when they say all rise, what they mean is all things everywhere rise to attention because your creator and judge has entered. And he has entered with the purpose of making his judgment. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare His righteousness, for God Himself is judge. Selah. Pause. Reflect. Acknowledge. Who is here? Who is in this place? You know, often we we go to uh, the Scriptures and we talk about whether or not we like the Psalms. 
I really like the Psalms. I don't really like the Psalms. I like this Psalm. I don't really like that Psalm. We do the same thing when we come in on Sunday mornings and we start singing these songs and we go, yeah, I like this song. I'm really glad we're singing this song this morning. I don't really like this song. I wish we were singing a different song this morning. And we come in and we find ourselves evaluating the songs and the worship. And what this Psalm does is it flips that on its head and it says, no, 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 I'm going to evaluate you. Let's see if you measure up to this psalm. I don't care whether or not you like it. This psalm is now the bar. Let's see if you can clear it. Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel. I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Verse 7. Hear, O my people. And I will speak, O Israel, I will testify against you, for I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Why did you come here this morning? What were you, what were you hoping as you walked in this morning? I hope God is pleased with my worship. I hope God appreciates how I set aside Sunday morning so that I could go to church. I came prepared to to give this morning. I, I hope that God thinks this is enough. I think that's what this is referring to. It's uh, I'm not rebuking you for your sacrifices. Because your burnt offerings are continually before me. It's not because you're not offering sacrifices. It's not because you're not doing the worship things and checking off the boxes that say, did I worship God this morning? Did I know the law? Did I recite the law? Did I show up at temple? Did I offer the proper sacrifices at the proper time? Were they without blemish? Check, 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 check. Yep, I'm doing pretty good. God should be fine. He says, no, no. That's not why I'm rebuking you. I'm not rebuking you because you're not bringing sacrifices. You are bringing sacrifices. I just want to remind you, I don't need your sacrifices. I don't need them. And then I I love how he talks about this. I'm not going to accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds because every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. How many times have I heard the cattle on a thousand hills? You know, God can take care of you because he has the cattle on a thousand hills. All of that, all the cattle everywhere, those belong to God. And so if you need anything, you could just ask him because God has this overabundance of things. It's the cattle on a thousand hills. And I look at this and I go, that's not the context of this actually. The context of this is not God has so much stuff He can give you things when you need it. The the context of this is God has so much stuff He doesn't need yours. 
God's not sitting there going, oh, I really, I really hope they tithe this morning so that I can do what I need to do. I, I really hope that they, that they give me a little bit so that then I can accomplish my purposes. God wasn't at this time going, oh man, I'm really hungry. I hope somebody brings a big bowl this morning. Because some barbecue sounds really good. God finds Himself reminding His people saying, I don't need your sacrifices. I don't need them. I don't even, I don't even particularly want your bulls and your goats. I, I don't want to take that from you. That's not what's happening here. If I was hungry, I wouldn't bother telling you. It's like that dad that you were going to get him just the right thing, right? But he's already got it. In fact, everything that he wants or needs, he already got for himself. He doesn't actually need it from you. So what are you going to bring him? Thanks. He says, the reason that you're bringing these sacrifices is not because I need them, but because you need to remember that you need me. How often do I find myself grudgingly giving to God of my time or of my money or some other resources? And I'm giving to God and I'm going, I hope God's happy with this because this is costing me a lot. And God's going, I don't need that. The reason that you're giving it is so that you remember that you need me. The reason that you came into church on Sunday morning is so that you could remember you need God. You need that mighty God, the Lord, the creator of the heavens and the earth. You need him. You need the one who has the cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need your time. He doesn't need your efforts. He doesn't need your money. He just doesn't. He's God. And when he decides to have the neighbors over for dinner, the heavens and the earth show up. And when he decides to throw a party, he takes a couple of fish and a couple of loaves of bread and goes, Hey, everybody eat till you're full. There are leftovers. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And perform your vows to the Most High. And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Let's set the context here. Let's put the the relationship in proper perspective. Let's put it in proper perspective. We're not here because God needs us, because we're trying to please Him. Because we think that somehow if we do these things, then that will make things okay between us and God. The reason that we're here is because it reminds us that we need our Heavenly Father. And so when we show up, we show up because we delight in Him. Because we love Him. We offer the sacrifices out of thanksgiving to Him. 
God, you have provided all that I need and more. I am going to give back to you, not because you need it, but in acknowledgement that this came from you and I need you. Lord, I'm going to show up on Sunday mornings, not because I have to so that I might appease you, but because I am so pleased with you that I want to come and be in your presence with your people where we're singing praises to your name. I hope they sing an extra hymn this morning. God, I'm so appreciative of who you are that I feel like giving 11% today. Maybe 12 Because you have been so generous with me. God, I just am so happy to be here in your presence. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Perform your vows to the Most High. When you, when you say, God, I, I really, would you answer my prayer request? And when you do, we will praise you. I find myself praying in this way a lot. When you're writing down your prayer requests on Sunday mornings and then you drop them in the offering plate or you drop it by the sound booth on your way out, afterwards they come and and the elders and the staff, they get those prayer requests and we pray for you during the week. And so often I find myself praying, God, would you meet these needs? Would you answer these requests so that we can praise you for doing that? That's what it's talking about, honoring your vow. When you have prayed that kind of a prayer, that afterwards, when God meets those needs, you respond with the thanksgiving and praise that you promised Him you'd give. And call upon Me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify Me. Isn't that amazing? It's not so much that you would show up and say, Hey, Dad, I have this thing for you. But, hey, Dad, I still really need your help. Can you help me? I so appreciate your wisdom. I so appreciate your counsel. And dads just go, yeah, I'd love to help you. I'd love to help you. Call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Here's the thing. I feel like the context of this finds people that were bringing the sacrifices, they were doing the things, they were doing the religious duties and they just lost focus. They lost perspective. And so it wasn't that they weren't doing the sacrifices. They were doing the sacrifices. It's not that they weren't showing up to church. They were showing up to church. It's not that they weren't tithing because they were doing that. They were doing all of those things. There just wasn't any heart behind them. They were just kind of going through the motions and feeling like it's not that big of a deal. Maybe they were, they were doing it and at one time they had been really sincere, but now they're just sort of going through the motions. Maybe they've always gone through the motions because their parents went through the motions or their parents were really, it was really important to them. And so now because of their parents, they just go through the motions. And this psalm is one of those ones that catches you sh- up short. And it ratchets up the intensity really fast. 
Like if you had been, you know, this weekend was, it was a pleasant weekend. If you were out at a friend's house and having a barbecue and you were just having a, a good time there, and then on your way home, you're, you're driving home and uh, your phone goes bleak like that, and so you, you kind of glance down like this to, to see what it is. Um, and, and then you look up again and uh, realize that there are those lights going off in your rearview mirror. And so you pull over, and the police officer comes and knocks on the window and says, What are you doing? You're going, It's a nice Saturday afternoon. I just was at a barbecue and was driving home. No! No, you weren't. You were speeding in a school zone. And there was a Saturday afternoon event. What? I, no, I just... And texting while driving. I wasn't texting. I just glanced down at my phone. That's not text. No. Hello. You looked down at your phone. And when you did that, you didn't realize you entered this school zone going too fast with all the kids walking about. You were texting, speeding in a school zone. Have you been drinking? I was just at this barbecue. I didn't really have that. While under the influence. And suddenly, on this Saturday afternoon, when you had been at this barbecue and having a really nice time, and you just glanced at your phone, and it didn't seem like that big of a deal, suddenly you have this police officer who is writing you ticket after ticket after ticket going, Hello? This is not how we drive. When you drive, you have to pay attention. And a little bit of alcohol is too much alcohol. And texting is not okay, even if it's just glancing at your phone. And you have to be aware of where you're driving and what the situation is here. And you find yourself going, uh, uh, because you're... Heart rate just went up, and that's what's going on here. The, the Lord is calling to His people, and He's saying, Look, I'm calling the heavens and the earth as witnesses. You've just been going through the motions, and it didn't seem like that big of a deal to you. But guess what? It is. When you're just going through the motions like that, and you're bringing it, it's not because you're not bringing the sacrifices, it's not because you're not showing up or bringing the offerings, it's because your heart is not in this at all, which makes it hypocritical and sin. And because you have been coming hypocritically and in sin, even though you've been offering these sacrifices to me, they haven't been in sincerity or with repentance. And so I haven't been accepting them. And so you are still in your sin. Verse 16, But to the wicked God says, What right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips? Who gave you the right? To say that you were a child of God. Who gave you the right to say that you were among God's people? Who gave you permission to do that? 
What right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. You're not listening to the wisdom of God. You're not walking in His ways and standing uprightly in His truth. You're not rejecting wickedness and evil and sin and accepting righteousness and purity and faith. You're just going through the motions. And the things that you do on Sunday morning have nothing to do with what you're doing throughout the week. Because you're not actually connecting to me. You're just going through the motions. For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. And if you see a thief, you are pleased with him. And you keep company with adulterers. And you give your mouth free reign for evil. Your tongue... And your tongue frames deceit. It seems like whatever you want to say, you just go right ahead and say it. Without thinking of honoring me. Without thinking of righteousness. Do you realize that you are in the presence of the Holy God? And your tongue just goes on like that. And you're gossiping and talking behind people's backs and slandering their character. And you're keeping company with people that, frankly, that's not savory company. You sit and you speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. The same thing. I I think that when Paul, we just last spring finished the book of Romans. As Paul was writing the book of Romans, I think he was having these same kinds of ideas in his mind. Because in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. And then down in verse 28, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, Murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And we find ourselves in a place where we are justifying our own works in our minds. So that we're playing this game. It's not really so bad. The things that I'm doing aren't really so bad. The things I'm looking at aren't really so bad. The things that I'm saying aren't really so bad. 
And because we're trying to justify ourselves without actually changing our behavior or walking in righteousness, then we see other people who are doing the same thing and we approve of what they're doing. Or at least give them a pass. Yeah, no, I mean, we all make mistakes. Yep, yep, we're all sinners. Sin is sin. Sin is sin. Who am I to judge? I mean, sin is sin. I, I sin, you sin. We, we say that in a really offhanded, dismissive way, don't we? Because we don't want them to judge us. And so we, we're telling them, yeah, I know that you have sin and I'm not going to judge you for your sin so that you don't judge me for my sin. We're both just going to say, it's cool. It's all good. We're okay. When in fact, sin is sin. What does that mean exactly? That all sin is sin against God. And though we may say, I'm not going to judge you, and they may tell us, I'm not going to judge you either, the reality is, at some point, God has waited long enough, and His patience is wearing thin, and He's going to call the heavens and the earth and say, now it's time to call you to account. And so all those things that we've just sort of been passing on and, and, and going, you know, it's probably not that big of a deal. We've been dismissing it or discounting it or justifying it. Things like gossip or slander, insolence, haughtiness, boastfulness, being disobedient to parents, just being foolish or faithless or heartless or ruthless, even though they know about God's righteous decree and that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Can you imagine that? You, you find yourself murdering people and approving murdering people and you know we all deserve to die, but we'll just go ahead and say it's okay. We sin, we give approval to other people's sin, even though we know we deserve to die. How can you give approval to that? How can you justify that in your own mind, unless you're just going through the motions and pretending that it's not a big deal? That's not that big of a deal, really. And so, I mean, all I really did was have one or two and glance at my phone while driving. It wasn't really that big of a deal. Until somebody calls you on it and points out to you how big of a deal it really is. Those things don't happen on accident. They happen on purpose, little by little, increment by increment, where you discount and downplay and discount and downplay until it gets a little bit worse and a little bit worse and a little bit worse. And you find yourself saying things like, well, sin is sin. Instead of sin is sin. 
So that back in Psalm 50, verse 21, it says, These things you have done, and I have been silent. You thought I was one like yourself, but now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. I, I didn't say anything. I was silent about your sin. I didn't say anything about it, and because I didn't say anything about it, you thought I was like you. You thought I was like you saying, oh, you know, sin is sin. It's not that big of a deal. Who am I to judge? But guess what? I'm not like you. He's God. Eternally righteous. The judge of the heavens and the earth. He's the one who will call everyone to account and will righteously judge both now and for all time, and will eventually make all things right by bringing to justice every wicked, evil sin. These things you have done, and I've been silent, and you thought that I was one like yourself. But now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Do not assume because God is silent or because there haven't been consequences yet, that God is tolerant of your sin and it doesn't bother Him. Do not mistake the patience of God for tolerance. It is not. It is patience. Again, as a father, I find myself in this same place. I am patient until I explode. Now, I'm not saying that the explosion that happens on my part is righteous like it is on God's part. I'm just saying that I have seen this aspect where there is stuff going on and I'm patient and I'm patient and I'm gently correcting and advising and nudging in the right direction until I am sick of it. There's another father back there. (laughs) And I think that you did not understand that when I said no the first time, what I meant was no. And though I have been patient, now the consequences are going to come. And I am going to lay before you all of the reasons that what you are doing is not okay. And must not continue. And that is what God is doing here. Though I have been silent, and you thought I was one like yourself, now I rebuke you and I lay the charges before you. And I put them out. And remember, we're in this courtroom, this cosmic courtroom, with the heavens and the earth as witnesses going, yep, he did that, yep, she did that, yep, they said those things. Yep, that's sin. That sin, sin is sin, you deserve to die. There is the judge of the heavens and the earth. This is the courtroom. You are here. It is intimidating. And they are saying, here are all of the charges before you. You have been walking and not actually believing it. You have been just going through the motions. You have been sinning on Saturdays and walking in like on Sundays like, whoop, no big deal. And I'm now putting the charges before you and I want you to know that this stuff is not okay because you have entered the presence of the holy, eternal God. Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. 
The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Yes, we get good news at the end. I was nervous there for a second. I was nervous there for a second because it was getting so heavy and so intense because of the righteousness and holiness of God and my failures in His very presence. And yet, here we have some hope. Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. Okay, that's almost hope, not quite. Here's the bad news. The bad news is that you are stuck in your sin, and if there's no one to deliver you, God will tear you apart for it. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies God. And to the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Though you may have been going through the motions, though you may have been utterly rejecting God, when you come face to face with this reality and the word of prophecies of Asaph come to you where Asaph is saying, listen, you have to repent and turn back to God. Now, here is the hope of salvation. When we offer our sacrifices of thanksgiving and we say, God, I recognize that the reason that I'm here is not because you need me or because somehow I have to give to you, but I am here because I need you. You are the one who in my uh, day of trouble, when I call out, you will deliver me. You are the one who, when I am in sin, will forgive that sin and will save me from your own wrath. How great and awesome of a God do we serve? One who is just and righteous has always been that way. Has created the world in righteousness and with justice in mind, but has waited patiently. Waited, waited, waited patiently as we have sinned and rejected Him and not have fulfilled all that He requires of us. He waits so patiently. And yet... Right before his justice hits, he says, look, I am going to offer a sacrifice on your behalf. I don't need any bulls or goats or anything that you could possibly offer me. So I'm going to offer a sacrifice on your behalf. I am going to offer my son as the one-time sacrifice, the eternal sacrifice, to forgive you of your sin so that you may draw near to me with thanksgiving. So that you may draw near to me, not with trembling and fear, but with joy and delight. This is the salvation that is coming. This is what it talks about in Hebrews chapter 12 in verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched. A blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. Did you hear that? Do you hear how intense that is? You haven't come to that. For they could not even endure the order that has been given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. 
Even Moses himself, the great prophet who was speaking to God as an intermediary between God and his people, was intimidated by this sight, and you haven't come to that. Here's what you've come to. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to an assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better than the word of the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse Him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused Him who warned them on the earth, much less will we escape if we reject Him who warns from heaven. At that time, His voice shook the earth, but now He has proclaimed, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase yet once more, indicates the removal of all things that are shaken. That is, the things that have been made. In order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And then let us offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. So what I want to invite you to today is to come and bring that kind of worship, that kind of sacrifice to our God, both today, but then this week, in the way that we walk before Him, in the way that we talk before Him, in the way that we praise Him, recognizing that He is a great and awesome God. And the only fitting response is to be grateful and to worship with reverence and awe. Let's pray. O oh Lord God, You have been the Creator of the heavens and the earth and still uphold all things by the power of Your Word. Lord God, we acknowledge that we have walked before You in ways that are not worthy of You. Lord, we have treated Your name lightly. We have walked into Your presence arrogantly and flippantly. But Lord, this morning we recognize who You are. You are the great and powerful God in all the earth. There is none like You. You are righteous and holy and just. And wickedness cannot remain in Your presence. And so Lord, we know that the coming judgment will be here. We know of our guilt. And we claim our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And would you forgive us 
our sins. And may we forgive those who sin against us. For yours is the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.